With the imminent destruction of Krypton, their home planet, Jor-El, and his wife seek to preserve their race by sending their infant son to Earth. The child's spacecraft lands at the farm of Jonathan and Martha Kent, who name him Clark and raise him as their own son. Those, though his extraordinary abilities have led to the adult Clark living on the fringe of society, he finds he must become a hero to save those he loves from a dire threat. Welcome to Logical Podcast, the ultimate destination for movie enthusiasts and pop culture experts. We dive deep into the world of cinema and embark on an exciting journey through the latest blockbusters, hidden gems, and timeless classics. I'm your host and resident cinema and comic book enthusiast, River, also the founder of this podcast. And today I'm joined with a very, very, very enthusiastic uh, cinema goer and comic book enthusiast. Is that right? Would I am I describing you right? Comic book enthusiast as well, or is it just like comic book films? Um, yeah, more films than the comic books, and certain characters have been around for a long time. So yeah, and I'm assuming that character is Superman. <laughs> he's the OG. <laughs> yes, he's the one who started it. The all. OG. Yeah. The OG, nice, nice. Uh, joined by my friend, RP Pie. How you doing? I'm good, River. Thanks for having me. How are you? Man, I'm so excited to get into this review. Like, I, I saw this um, last night um, to refresh myself for this podcast. Um, and I, I couldn't believe how damn good this movie is. And we're, we're now into the 11th year or it's it's been 11 years since this movie came out and i'm just so damn excited to to talk about this film how about you oh yeah i was there at the launch in sydney in june 2013 where i met henry cavill and Zack snyder and i know i'm going to meet them again one day and this movie was the one which started it all birth of the snyderverse which so 
unceremoniously got destroyed by James Gunn. But anyway, we'll talk <laughs> about that later. <laughs> Wait, so you were at the premiere. Was it the was the premiere at Entertainment Quarter or was it at It was in uh, George IMAX. Street, Sydney. Oh, George Street, Event Center. Yeah, red red carpet premiere. Everyone was there. Gotcha. Yeah. Man. Wait, how did they do the red carpet there? Did the red carpet go down George Street or was no, the street was still like, open all, and it, was, it went down the footpath? It was through the cinema. Okay, like through the, um, the mall type place, whatever yeah. it is. Yeah, yeah, they closed off the streets and stuff. God damn. And you had good seats? Uh, no, I, I, I didn't actually get into the cinema. I just went there. Oh, you just went to the premiere. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. God damn. I mean, I, I would have... Uh, I would have died to be in your position because actually, like, short story, like, long story short, <laughs> my, I, I got a bit of a history with this film, um, and when I first saw it, um, and even though I say it's a long story short, I'm probably going to actually make it a long story, but I'm going to try and be quick, right? I'm going to try to be quick. So basically, um, I've been a, a huge Superman fan since I was a child, and I'm pretty sure Superman, the story of Superman was the main inspiration and the, one of the drivers for me to be inspired as a kid to do great things, right? Um, and I, I remember when Zack Snyder was announced to be the new guy that takes on the new iteration of Superman, and I knew that Christopher Nolan was behind it, and I was, I've always been a fan of Christopher Nolan since uh, Memento. And then um, I was gearing myself up to be so excited for this film because being a Superman fan and also being um, a big movie person and being a big Christopher Nolan fan, and I was somewhat like of a Zack Snyder fan too, um, I, was, <laughs> I was pretty damn excited. So I, I amped myself up so much that I wanted other people to experience the same thing or the same kind of feeling they go through. You know, you like I, I think everybody has that feeling a lot of the time, right? When you're excited about something, you tell other people you want them to experience a similar excitement too. And so I did that with Man of Steel. And basically what I did was I invited like a group of people, a group of friends to come along um, to the opening screening of Man of Steel. And um, the, the, my friends that I invited along, they're visual effects artists for the film. Um, this is back in Wellington, New Zealand. They work at Weta Digital. So the visual effects artist for the film, and I was like so excited and proud to like have friends that were working on this film. They even gave me merch, like you know, um, crew merch and everything like that. Awesome. Man of Steel crew merch. I don't even know where any of that merch is gone anymore, <laughs> by the way. And um, I, I I didn't intend to invite a crazy amount of people. It just naturally happened. Like they told their friends, and then their friends told their friends and then it was just this massive ripple effect and they're all saying oh yeah river's organizing a big group to go to man of steel i was like well it wasn't a plan to <laughs> i just wanted to invite people to come along and then you know what it turned out to be 82 people i took to the screening wow <laughs> that was the most wild cinema experience i've ever had in terms of just organizing a group um and that was actually the brainchild of me running this like uh kind of like a film club. Um, I started to, um, I got this idea. I was like, wait, why don't I just create like a group of people that, uh, that love film and then I'll just organize screenings where we all go together and we chat about the film before and after and all that kind of stuff. So Man of Steel was the, <laughs> was kind of the, the first seed that was dropped in terms of uh, bringing people together to watch film. 
and then I guess that's kind of the um uh that, that's Your kind origin of what, story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like my origin story to eventually cool. get into yeah. doing a podcast about film yeah. now. Um so yeah, that was that was such a wild experience for me. And uh I I try to watch this film maybe once a year, but I don't think I watched it last year. Um, and I'm pretty sure watching it last night to prepare for this podcast today was yeah. the first time I've seen it in a while. Um, so, yeah, I'm super amped, super excited, and I couldn't be any more excited to have you on the podcast to talk about this film as well. Yeah, I'm pumped. Thanks for having me. When was the last time you seen this film? I ended up watching it last night. Oh, you did? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And this morning. Okay, great. Well, okay, I, I great. had to. I watched half and half. Um, but I also watched it on my laptop where I could do it at 1.5 speed. <laughs> like I've, by this time, by this point, I've seen it about at least a dozen times. So I almost wow. know the script word for word. So I oh, don't man. need to um, refresh myself feel free to, too much. Feel free to quote away and quote away. Like, uh, yeah. is any that, quotable a, lines that you got? That's the sad thing about this movie. If there was one thing about it that, um, could have been better was the dialogue. Mm. True. True. Like this, um, like um, when he's fighting Zod and he says, "You're a monster, Zod, and I'm going to stuff you." I'm like, anyone could have come <laughs> up with that. I could do better that than that. Come on, but I'll um, stop you! Ha 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 ha! Uh, yeah, that is true. Um, but yeah, let's get into this. Um, let's just go through this first part of the review and recap for Man of Steel, uh, which came out in 2013, uh, June 14th. Precisely. Was June 14th your premiere, or do you kind of remember the date? I can't remember the exact date. It was in June. I remember that. Actually, it might have been mm. May. It was May or June. It was before the um, one in the cinemas. Yeah, right on. A movie directed by Zack Snyder. Everybody knows Zack Snyder for 300, which, by the way, I love that film. I don't know if you uh, what your thoughts about 300. I really love 300. Yeah, same. Um, Good on 4K. Great film. Ah, oh, nice. Uh, written uh, by David Escoya, Christopher Nolan, and Jerry Siegel. Uh, this movie stars Henry Cavill, Amy Adams, Michael Shannon, Diane Lane, Russell Crowe, and Jay Trower. I'm probably butchering that pronunciation. Uh, Harry Lennox, Rip, uh, rest in peace, Harry Lennox. Richard Schiff, Christopher Maloney, Maloney or Maloney? It's probably Maloney, right? Not Maloney. <laughs> <laughs> and Kevin Costner. This movie has a runtime of two hours and twenty-three minutes, which I think flies, in my opinion. It does. Um, it's probably all the the raging excitement that I have for this film. That's probably why it feels like it, it races a bit. Uh, and this movie had a budget of two hundred twenty-five million dollars, and it had a box office, a total box office intake of six hundred and seventy million. Do you think it deserved more? Do you think it deserved to be in the billion-dollar well, club? I think um, for what it deserved to be, it should have hit a billion. That's true, but I also think it's. I know it, logically it's it acceptable. <laughs> but I, <laughs> I think it's acceptable eyes, in my biased eyes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I'm the same too. My biased eyes, I think it deserves to be in the billion dollar club. But I think it's a fair box office intake, considering what Superman, as a story or as a film, has gone through in the previous years. Right, the pre mm -hmm. most previous. Uh, Superman movie to this was the 2005 uh, Superman Returns, which, by the way, I watched recently too, mm. um, because somebody on the um, on uh, 2006, Instagram, I think. 2006, okay, sorry, 2006. Uh, somebody on our, 
on our Instagram requested that we uh, review <laughs> Super Mario Returns. I was like, look, I'm just, I'm going to watch it. Like you gave me an idea, I might I just watch it. I watched that it. And plane I was scene, like, that plane yeah. scene and the minigun scene. They never get old. <laughs> Man, the plane scene is the best scene in yeah. the entire film. Um, and it's 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 kind of cool. Like I enjoy it. It's not a great movie, but I, I enjoy it and I enjoy the nostalgic aspects of it. And I understand like what Brian Singer was trying to do with that film, but um, but it's actually kind of boring though. <laughs> yeah, it's it's yeah. there's a lot of people standing around talking about nothing to do with the story, really. Um, anyway, and he, um, and I, I think Brandon Routh did a good job though. I think he yeah, was, I, th- um, I think he did a good job. Yeah, he was very much in a Christopher Reeve clone though. <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. I, I think if that was the, if that was the but notes he that, that he was given, well. yeah, mm. if that was the notes and the direction that he was given from Brian Singer, I think he nailed it. Mm. Um, Man of Steel has a Rotten Tomatoes score of fifty six by the critics and seventy five by the audience. Man, the critics are whack, man. Yeah, they have no idea what they're talking about. Yeah, they don't. And seventy five <laughs> for the audience, I'm like, yeah, you it's don't good, need them, but. Um, what does he say? Um, Rick from Rick and Morty says, like, I've seen what makes you cheer. <laughs> Your booze mean nothing. Like, <laughs> yeah. I haven't actually seen Rick and Morty. I, I hear so yeah, much about Rick and Morty and people say it's so good and I should probably, I yeah. should probably check it out. You should. You should. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, but you know, seasons. But yeah, most how many seasons good. are there? Now it's like five or six. Wow, okay. Yeah. Well, it's a lot of catching up to do. It's a lot of commitment, yeah. man. Mm. All my commitments It'll actually, fly by, trust me. I'm sure it will, but all my commitments in this podcast, dude. So yeah, fair <laughs> enough. Um, yeah, so the consensus for this is pretty short, and this is the consensus from Rotten Tomatoes, is Man of Steel's exhilarating action and spectacle can't fully overcome its detours into generic blockbuster territory. I mean, they're not wrong, but it's kind of a weird consensus too. Um, if I was to rewrite this consensus, I'd say this movie is the fucking shit. <laughs> yeah. End of story. End of story. Yeah. You know John Campia? He ag- he agrees with our sentiment. Oh yeah, man! I, I, man, I'm a huge fan of John. And Campia. Angry Joe. I've actually. <laughs> oh, is is he a big fan of this movie as well? I haven't actually he seen is. Angry Joe's uh, review on this. Okay. Yeah. No. He's he's pretty psyched on this as well. Good. Good. You know, I've 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 interacted with uh, John Campier online in person. Like, oh, I'm yeah. friends with him on Facebook. Yeah. No way. That's yeah. And Why so, didn't you get him on the podcast? <laughs> true. I could. I could. I, I could ask him. Um, ask him. Just go for it, man. He might overshadow my podcast, dude. <laughs> <laughs> okay. People might be like, "Oh, I want to listen to this guy, not you." <laughs> Um, but yeah, he, he's a cool dude, and I remember him talking highly um, about Man of Steel, and I thought he was, uh, I mean, I think his his uh, perspective and his analysis on Man of Steel was perfect. It's very much aligns with, uh, I guess, both of ours. Um, so I, w- I want to get into first impressions, um, just like a snapshot of what you think about this film, and then once we get into the recap, it'll allow us to breathe a lot more with... Uh, um, developing our thoughts and our opinions on certain things. And, you know, the good thing about the recap is that it allows us to even show us things that we might have previously thought was really good, but then you're kind of like, oh, actually, now now that we, you know, pull this apart, 
talk about it, maybe that's not so true. So I want to start with you. What are your first impressions of this film? And uh, maybe even tell us about your first experience with watching this film. Uh, it was on opening night of the the official one. It wasn't during the premiere, but um, I went with a bunch of friends as well. Not as many as you, um, but yeah, I was. I did um, remember trying to get as many people as possible, just because I'm that big of a Superman fan. Um, I didn't think I knew you back then. Obviously, that was 2013 when it came out, but. Uh, yeah, I remember being full pumped because the openings as always full of other diehard fans. So the energy in the room was just pumping. And yeah, I, I, everyone I went with loved it. Maybe not as much as me, but the, they walked out saying uh, good things for the most part. Yeah. What about you? Nice. Like, do, do you have favorite performances? Um... And this, like, is oh. there a is there a favorite character? Is there a favorite uh, like favorite uh, actor? Feyora, is uh, up there. Damn, you you stole mine. Like, low key, <laughs> Feyora is like my favorite character. <laughs> uh, I'll let you talk. I'm just talking about. Um, I'm talking more about her actor as well. In terms of, um, she had very subtle, nuanced facial expressions that uh, I think uh, took some skill to develop the talent to do that. Like when she's uh, having mm. the face off with Henry Cavill. Like, like evolution always wins. She has a yeah. very subtle facial expression that yeah, I thought it was pretty nuanced. Yeah, I think she really delivers, man. Like she's she's got some very convincing uh acting chops. Uh and, and, and I imagine like, you know, doing those characters, being alien characters or whatever, that must be pretty hard, you know? Like when you're given when you're given like the notes uh the kind of character that the writers are trying to describe, you sort of look at this going, uh, I guess my approach, well, my natural approach is like, I've got to be a human, but I can't be a human. I have to be an alien, but then I have to be somewhat relatable to have to be partly human, or at least like the way I deliver is partly human. But I can imagine that's like super hard for someone like that, for anybody to get in those roles. My first impressions of this film is where do I begin, man? Like, I I love everything from the technical aspect. I love everything that Zack Snyder does as a director. Um, the story is is pretty clean cut. You know, there there isn't like a lot of um, complexity in the story. Um, this movie could have been over convoluted um, if they'd added like so many other things about like where they could have taken the story. Um, and I like the fact that we just focus on the pure origin story of Superman. Um, and that origin story is very focused on, um, how he becomes or discovers his identity. Right. I like the, I like that. It's just all on that. Um, I do like, um, everyone else in this film, everybody has been casted perfectly, uh, Diane Lane looks great. Michael Shannon looks awesome, um, and Russell Crowe looks awesome. It's I noticed that <laughs> everybody in this film is very good looking, <laughs> and it kind of makes sense. Like when you look at Henry Cavill, um, his biological parents have to be pretty good looking, right? Um, and uh, what's her name? Who plays? Uh, who plays his mom? His biological mom. Um, I can't remember her name. 
I don't have her in the cast list, but I think she's Israeli. She's yeah, Israeli. yeah, yeah, yeah. She's got like an Israeli name. She she was uh, Wilson Fisk's. Yes, yes, Wilson Fisk's uh, wife. Yeah, that's right. Indeed, um, she's great. Vanessa. Yeah, that's right. Vanessa is her name. Indeed, but she's yeah. great, man. She she's got this like really angelic, perfect bone structure of a face, and um, like. Yeah, she's she's stunning to look at, and I, I could believe that she would be the biological mama of Henry Cavill, you know, as he grows up. And Russell Crowe, like he's a, he looks really really good in this. I think Russell Crowe is a good looking guy as well. Um, he's kind of um, <clears throat> relaxed a little bit in the recent years, but but he looks he looks great in this film. Her name is her name is Islet Zura. Islet Zura, wow, even that name's majestic, isn't it? Um, so yeah, everybody in this film looks great, man. And even Kevin Costner and Diane Lane, like those guys look very good looking too, even in their mature older years. Um, yeah. And, and I just love the way that everybody played their part. I don't think anybody was underdeveloped or anything. I don't think there was any unnecessary parts of the film. I don't think it was a chunky, chunky film at all. I think it was, it was written and directed in the way that it, I think it should have been. Um, I do think the dialogue is pretty weak in a lot of it. <laughs> um, and part of me wants to think that the dialogue is ripped out of the comics or it feels like something that I would read in a comic, like the line that you were saying before, like how um, uh, when Superman says, uh, you're a monster Zod and I'm going to, what does it say? I'm going to kill you. I'm going to stop you. Stop yeah. You. That feels like something that stop I would you. read from a comic, yeah. you know? Um, yeah. So, yeah, man, I love everything about this movie. And the action sequences, like when, when you, your expectations mm. as a Superman fan, or if, you, or if you're just a person that just wants to see a comic book film, then you want to see some good action sequences. And Zack Snyder couldn't be any more perfect for this. Um, I remember like when I first watched this, I was like, oh my goodness. Like this is... This is the mm. Superman action that you want to see. Yeah. It's also it's also the Dragon Ball Z. Oh my action. goodness. <laughs> we deserve it's like what well, yeah, it's <laughs> this is the closest that we'll ever get to Dragon Ball Z live action. Yeah. So yeah, Fiora's scenes especially. Yeah. 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 That's how um it goes. And a couple more things that I want to say about my first impression of this film is um the visual effects are overwhelmingly incredible. Um, what Veda, what Veda, what Weta Digital done to this film is phenomenal. I'm so glad that they got Weta to do it because these guys are just kings, um, kings in their craft. They also got guys like uh, Double Negative, which I think is a studio based in London, and MPC, which is a studio based in uh, Vancouver. Um, but the main people that, the main visual effects studio that helmed the project was um, Weta Digital, and if I'm not mistaken. The whole Krypton sequence was all done by Witter. So freaking Krypton looks amazing, man. Holy shit. Looks like a believable world. Uh, just super crisp, clean visual effects. And I was so happy with the outcome of this. Um, but yeah, man, I, I, I love this movie, man. I really, really love this movie. <laughs> um, we're going to get in. I saw it at least six or seven times in the cinemas while it was out. I think I might have beat you in that. I think I saw it oh, like yeah. more than I know. I saw it more than ten times. Could have been fifteen or something. Yeah, yeah. 
Wow. Yeah, I was blown away. Wish I could have done that. It's blown away. Yeah. Um, we're going to get into the recap, the plot. Are you ready for mm. this? Let's do it. All right. Let's do it. We begin with a beautiful opening sequence of titles, production studios, <laughs> people who deserve credit for their studios. <laughs> um, I like how, like the you know the opening, like even the title sequences, you know, with the studios, the studio logos, and all that kind of stuff. It's all done in the sort of cultural design of Krypton. I think that is such a cool way to enter a film, and what a perfect way to get into the world of Superman. Um, you got Warner Brothers, Syncopy, um, <clears throat> Syncopy, which is, uh, Christopher Nolan and Emma Thomas's studio. Um, and who was it? Legendary Pictures, which was founded and is like, and CEO Thomas Tull or Tull or something like that. Um, and then the DC logo is probably like the ugliest one that comes up. <laughs> so we get into this whole like Krypton sequence, right? On the distant planet Krypton, Lara Lovan has just given birth to a son whom they name Kal-El. She and her husband Jor-El have birthed their son naturally, in violation of the basic laws of the planet, where babies are to be bred through genetic engineering with a planetary codex that imprints just what a person's place in life will be. Jor-El and his wife have chosen his path. Uh, this path. As their planet on the brink of destruction harvesting their planet's core for resources has made it unstable and on the brink of an implosion after the birth of his son Jor-El appears before the Kryptonian law council pleading with them to allow him to save uh, the planet's growth codex and to search for a habitable world beyond Krypton um, <clears throat> I want to point out the costume design, right? Actually, the costume design for the whole film, but especially for the Kryptonians, and whoever that genius was, I think his name is uh, Michael Wilkinson. I think he's a British guy. Incredible, incredible. I, like, I, I want to know what kind of like inspiration he got for the costume design, all the patterns and stuff, and the cloaks. And I, I think I remember Michael Wilkinson talking about how he wanted. Krypton to be a caped society. <laughs> yeah, it was it was kind of his ideas because if you if you want something to naturally evolve into what you see Superman's suit to be, you know, with a cape and everything, is like it would make sense that he'd come from a cape society. And so if you notice, all the Kryptonians that you see in this opening scene, they're all got capes. <laughs> Interesting, right? Yeah. Except for the warriors, though, because I, I mean, like when when uh, Zod at the end of the thing he sheds off his suit, his one doesn't have the cape on it. Yeah. Oh, oh, you mean at the end? I think it's because the cape at was the on his uh, armor. 
Oh, yeah, yes, the cape yes. is on all their armors, like uh, when they're wearing their kind of like okay. battle-ready armor or military-grade armor. Um, yeah, they've got capes on that. Mm. Um, but he looks badass without the cape anyway, like when he takes it off and he's in that black mm. suit. Like, jeez. Mm. He looks scary. Um, the di- you know, the dialogue actually in this opening scene of Krypton, I think is kind of cool. The Kryptonian um, mm. council... Um, <laughs> was this exposition dump but they have to do it to just yeah well i think it's, it's not gonna last that long anyway i think right? it's worthy exposition dump you know like um yeah the way they're all talking to each other this has to get the film started yeah yeah i think it's i think it's earned actually all this exposition because it creates yeah. a good backdrop for um uh henry cavill's or clark kent's discovery of Kryp- krypton as well mm-hmm. because if, if you can imagine this film without having all this exposition and this opening sequence with Krypton, um, I think it would have made for a story that has quite a lot of holes because all the questions that Clark ends up asking, which is the same questions that we're all wondering as audience, right? Um, a lot of it would still be looming questions in the air, like, oh, I wonder what Krypton would have been like, or I wonder like what um, what the people of Krypton were like. So it is a good, it is an exhibition, but I think it's actually quite worthy of it. Um, and, and I like how we establish um, General Zod pretty quick, right? The type of person he is and what he set out to do. You know, he's he's the ultimate fighting killing machine for Krypton, and I guess he's worthy of being in that um, general position. Um, so yeah, it's kind of cool. However, the council is suddenly set upon General Drusod and numerous Sword of Rao followers. I don't even know what Sword of Rao. Sword of Rao. I can't, I can't remember what that is. Um, swiftly murdering High Eminence Rosa and intending to take control of the planet in Coup de Trois. Oh, how do you say that? Coup, coup, coup d'etat. Coup d'état, coup d'état, something like that, which is basically a coup, right? Um, although Joel likewise agree, disagrees with Council, he refuses to join General Zod despite being a former longtime friend of the latter. I want to see that story. I want to see that movie, Joel and General Zod, like the origin story of them becoming friends. That, that'd be pretty cool. Um, Zod. Yeah, except they would be too old for it now. <laughs> yeah, they'd have to CG their faces. <laughs> you can do it with the AI these days. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Zod orders Jor-El to be arrested, but Jor-El quickly escapes and flees to an area nearby, wherein the planet's birthing chamber resides. Stealing the growth codex from the chamber, Jor-El races back to his home, where his wife Lara has found a planet to send their baby. The planet Earth. Seemingly intelligent population. I was thinking... Maybe they're analyzing like Albert Einstein. <laughs> they're using like this one person to represent the seemingly intelligent population. No, I think we're intelligent. I'm like, yeah, maybe you should have looked deeper into other parts of the world. <laughs> and then what does Lara say? Lara says something like, uh, um, he'll be an outcast. They'll, They'll kill, kill him. him. And then what does he say? How? Oh, yeah, that's right. Them. How? He'll be a god to them. them. That's that's also in the trailer as well. I think it's in the second official trailer. 
um, that's like two minutes and 33 seconds or something like that. Um, you know, you know, he was uh, basically created as an allegory for like Moses and Jesus. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's so much religious like symbolism, yeah. um, iconography. Yeah. It's all very, very. It's it's very Archetypes. like um, yeah. Jesus heavy iconography, especially mm. like the sequence where he like flies yeah. out of the spaceship. He flits out of the yeah. ship. Yeah. <laughs> um, when he's sitting in the chapel as well, and Jesus is like blurred out in the background. It's like, yeah, it's pretty heavy on that. I think it's also because like Snyder, um, like Zach and his wife Deborah, I think they're Christians. I, I, don't quote me on it, but I think they're Christians. They might be uh, Christian or Jewish. Mm, Jewish. Sure. I think it would make more sense that they're Christian because there's a lot of like, <laughs> it's a lot of Christendom and like mm. uh, Christology. Is that, is that what they call it? The study of Christ. Yeah. The, well, let's say Judeo-Christian. Judeo-Christian, I guess, yeah. It's probably, probably more fitting. Yeah. Though Lara is sad at the loss of their child, Joral claims he will be free of the limitations imposed by Kryptonians and prosper among humanity. That's so cool in this sequence when Zod infiltrates the House of Al and the freaking boxing match that he has with Jor-El is awesome like the one-two punch that Jor-El does on him and it's, it's such a cool brawl and it's a yeah. really good way to will, give yeah. us like a hint or a tease as to what the action is going to be like it's great mm. and all Jor-El's like the ultimate badass he's a scientist and and even though he was bred to be a scientist he could still take out the general who was bred to yeah be exactly a it's kind of like so, man man how does how does his biological son uh, Cal Al not have these fighting skills. <laughs> he didn't inherit them. <laughs> he lost that near. Well, on Earth he didn't really need them. <laughs> yeah, I guess he didn't need them. Yeah, and being like uh, being raised on a farm probably doesn't lead way to um, <laughs> building any kind of skill around fighting. Who are you raised? On yeah, a that's farm? a good line, by the way. That's a very good line. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Is there anything else you wanted to uh, talk about this opening scene of Krypton? Some cool Easter eggs in the scene as well. Different. Yeah, one of the Easter eggs is um, there's the shattered, shattered or the cracked moon in the background. Um, when you see the opening establishing shot of Krypton, um, and it's got that weird kind of rhino, whatever it is, or the like the Kryptonian rhino, and it and it roars, it's like Rawr! and you see in the background there's uh, yeah. a cracked moon, and that yeah, cracked yeah. moon is in the comics. Yeah. Um, what is it called? I think that cracked moon has got something to do with um, the character Jaxa, Jaxa, who's a scientist, Jaxa, yeah, who's yeah. scientist in, in Krypton, yeah, yeah. and he's also in the film as well. Yeah. He's the guy that takes the blood from yeah. um, from Clark, yeah. Christopher McKenzie or something. Mm, okay, I, I don't know his name. his name, but yeah, he's been in a bunch of TV shows. He was in Smallville. As oh well. right, yes. There's a lot of Smallville. There's a lot of Smallville cameras. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so, so Jaxa, like his, uh, it's something he was doing an experiment. I think I actually, I'm probably like completely butchering the story, but it's something to do with him. And he's the reason why there's a cracked moon in the background. I think it was like an experiment he was trying to do and he explodes the moon and then Zack Snyder puts that as an Easter egg. And I'm kind of like, well, the cracked moon can't remember which comic mm-hmm. it's from, but yeah, that's a little Easter egg in there. Um, yeah, so 
straight from there we get into it's pretty efficient i think like as as much as i wanted to spend more time in krypton um i would have loved to see more and more like can you imagine like a whole movie on krypton that would be freaking amazing imagine if that was like the first movie and then we get man of steel um it would never happen in a million years because studios would be like nobody wants to learn about krypton and you know what we tried it with tv series and people hated it <laughs> um yeah um i think that would would have been pretty cool um so yeah it's pretty efficient in how it does it but it also takes its time that's what i appreciate about this is that it takes its time to sort of get the feel and understand the cultural uh the cultural visuals or something like that you know the whole planet um and then we get to the explosion and everything it's quite sad you know that shot of lara in the background oh sorry in in the in the foreground and krypton's exploding with all the lavas and shit don't even know how the explosion works really <laughs> assuming assuming what they're saying is true you know they've exhausted their their natural resources and everything is coming to explosion it's almost kind of like a i don't know climate change type thing or some shit like that the planet overheating itself perhaps and then going into like massive yeah. implosion they were harvesting the core or something right. for energy and it got oh yeah 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 harvesting the core oh yeah yeah that's i remember he uh was it Joral says a line like that right harvesting the core harvesting the core is suicide yeah. that's right harvesting the core is suicide um yeah so the explosion happens it's a cool explosion by the way great explosion i can imagine that's how mm. planets explode yeah. right i love how it like sucks in for yeah. a second and then, and then a massive like yeah like nuclear shock but then it but then it hovers around because of i guess the lack of gravity or whatever yeah, yeah. pretty cool yeah. um and then we see we see his ship fly past fly past a bunch of, a bunch of planets the moon mm -hmm. saturn or whatever um and then it gets into earth <clears throat> crash lands into some kind of ocean presumably close to oh sorry not the ocean <laughs> it crashes into to yeah. kansas and then it cuts the ocean but it transitions yeah, it cuts yeah. it's a it's a weird that was a cool transition. I, yeah it's i mean it's cool but i i thought it was kind of weird like how it went i was yeah, like whoa right. i wasn't expecting that cut um yeah it's like well, that's the point. i guess it was the point but yeah i thought yeah. the editor was like freaking just a bit high in that situation <laughs> like we're just gonna cut like this mm, maybe. um yeah. but yeah drops you in the thick of it while he's just discovering who he is pretty much yeah pretty much um yeah. oh actually something that we didn't um touch on uh we'll touch on it really quick back on krypton as a punishment general zod and his uh sword of rao followers are banished to the phantom zone by high eminence law m you are sentenced mm -hmm. to uh 30 to uh, 300 cycles, cycles? No, 300 of somatic reconditioning man i want to say that i, I want to be a judge <laughs> and say that to someone you are sentenced to 300 years of somatic reconditioning <laughs> that's pretty cool um and i also like what uh michael shannon says he says like um uh you would you would you would sever or sever your sever your heads or something like that no you won't sell oh, you won't sell your hands but you'd damn, but you'd damn us. us to eternity to a black yeah. hole yeah. yeah um Doral was right and like this even the spit that he does like the spit that he does to the council it's like wow that's pretty epic 
<laughs> I believe this guy. Mm. I believe his conviction. Yeah. Very, very good performance by him. Mm. Um, yes. And then, yeah, with Lara as well. I will find yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. I remember that was actually one of the biggest uh, taglines or one of the most memorable lines from from the trailer is when he says, I will find him. Mm. Um, and I, I like Lara's reaction. Like, she's, she's pissed, but she's emotional, but she's also satisfied. Mm-hmm. with seeing the somatic reconditioning mm. or the jail the kryptonian jail i'd hate to be in that jail man that looks scary yeah. i'm happy with earth jail and the very the very phallic missile thing <laughs> which they get uh, turned into and then they yeah they all get solidified into a bunch of dicks <laughs> <laughs> weird i don't know like uh, the design like the design choice in this i i i don't know if they realized You'd have to think that they didn't realize it was too too. I don't know how they couldn't. Realize. It was too close, right? <laughs> they has to, must have gone through some test focus groups and stuff at some probably. Point. And they probably got to the end of it. Or they probably got to dailies or something and be like, "Holy shit! It actually looks like oh wow, well, it's too late. We've already paid the visual effects artists." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. Okay, so flashback of uh, Clark's childhood and life in Smallville are uh, incrementally revealed, detailing the, the struggle of adapting to Earth and attempts to reconcile his extraordinary abilities. As a child, it is shown that on a particular day in elementary school, Clark experiences a sensory overload as his X-vision, X, X-ray vision activates uncontrollably while also taking numerous sounds agitating him, locking himself in a supply closet Martha arrives and helps Clark to overcome the sensory overload by guiding him to a focus only on what he wants to. In this case, his mother's voice. Years later, as a teenager, Clark saves numerous numerous of his fellow students when their bus accidentally crashes into a river, causing his abilities to be exposed. Jonathan Kent eventually reveals to a young Clark of his alien heritage by showing him the pod Clark arrived and as an explanation to his abilities, Jonathan also tells Clark it is imperative that he finds out his origins and the reason for him being sent to Earth. All right, so I've covered actually quite a lot <laughs> in this part. I want to go back to um, uh, where he's first experiencing X-ray vision. He goes to the closet um, and he locks himself in the closet. Presumably, there's a lot of time being passed because it takes, I don't know, I'm assuming like they they live they don't live that close to the school presumably there's a bit of a time like you know yeah maybe, maybe they do live close i don't know it's a farm yeah, she was there pretty instantly maybe she was working as a teacher maybe maybe but <laughs> i presume that you know it's, he's been in the closet for a bit she arrives and then she says um um focus on my voice and i think this is such an important part to his character and it's really really good character building for how he gets shaped and molded into this noble moral force for good right really really good scripting here and i and i just like how um the score is utilized really well in the scene as well you know with um mm. hans zimmer hans zimmer's score it's like that gentle piano in the background it's perfect I like it. yeah i love this the music for this movie i think it's probably my up there for that's right Zimmer. one of my favorites yeah it's definitely my favorite too i like, like it more than the original john williams score 
might be controversial, but I don't give a shit. <laughs> I like it better than the original. <laughs> yeah. I was raised on the original. So I was raised on the original too, man. I was raised on the original too. That's how I fell in love yeah. with Superman, was the first Superman movie. Actually, Superman 2 was my favorite. I liked Richard Donner's one, but Superman 2 yeah, is same. better, actually. Yeah, same with General, with General Zod. Zod yeah. And the Krypton Dubad is what they called them. Uh, yeah, so this scene's cool. I think it does a lot for his character. It does a lot for even Martha as a as a strong parent parental figure in his life. Um, and we, you know, when we cut back to other flashbacks where he's exposing his abilities, and then I like this moment that he has with uh, his his father or his foster father, Jonathan Kent, where he's sitting on the truck and they're having this moment where he's he's basically coaching or like teaching him giving him some insight as to what would happen if he were to expose yourself and it's a good way to really establish his trust and connection with his father or his foster father um and i just like how this whole scene is done and really really interesting lines of when he's when clark says um what what was i supposed to do let him die and then he says maybe that's that's what i that's what I didn't, because I, I, I really compared a lot of that with Smallville, because I was also <laughs> grew up on Smallville too, and the Jonathan Kent on Smallville would never say maybe to letting mm-hmm. other people die. So I'm just thinking, like, I wouldn't, I didn't, I didn't agree with him saying maybe. Yeah, I can, I, I can totally understand that, but I think the the world that that David Escoya and Zach is building here is a world where, um there is there are these incredible possibilities where um you have to be um i i think jonathan just is is very much aware of like what the consequences would be in kind of like a modern age Mm. right and he's trying to protect his son for what these consequences could be and i think his um i i think it this creates a strong anchor for the type of realism that these guys are building in the story yeah and it also i suppose is the setup for why he takes it so seriously because he even even his dad take his own life mm. essentially by not listening by listening yep. to him so when he does reveal himself to the world later after all of that you know it's got even mm-hmm. more weight yeah it. exactly like the payoff he was exactly the payoff is much yeah. greater because mm. because the world itself is is perceiving this god character not in a way that is that is uh accepting everybody's puzzled everybody's like everything that they've believed up until that point where people cannot fly defy gravity or have extraordinary powers everybody is is uh apprehensive to (laughs) to even accept any anything like that because everything has crumbled right all their beliefs is crumbled so um, so it makes sense to me that his father would say something like, maybe you could have, you know, because um, realistically, this can't even happen. So <laughs> so maybe you have to let some like certain things go. And that's a lesson that he learns like very, very young. And he learns to accept that later in his life, especially when he loses his father. Um, years later, Clark, dr- Clark drifts around North America on a pilgrimage on a ship oh, sorry on board a ship he and his crew are soon alerted to a distress call for the help 
of flaming oil rig. Clark quickly disappears from a ship and is on the rig moments later, rescuing the crew and getting them to board a Coast Guard chopper. He is unable to join them as he rushes to keep a part of the rig collapsing. As the chopper flies away with the rig's crew, the rig collapses down on him and ends up floating in the water. Clark manages to return to land and borrow some clothes. You know, when I first saw the scene, I was like, wait, he could only do that? <laughs> By the way, he's not floating on the water. He's underneath the whales. Yeah, that's remember? right. Yeah, he is underneath the whales. He's, he's yeah. underneath. I remember somebody yeah. saying, it is a cool show. I remember somebody saying, oh, is this the introduction of Aquaman? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe it. too soon, too soon. But um, I'm pretty sure Zack Snyder had it in his mind, or at the back of his mind, is like, yeah, yeah. Mm. Maybe, maybe this is a scene where Aquaman mm. is, he's, uh, he understands what's going on, or maybe that whole oil rig catching on fire was the doing of Aquaman. That could be cool. Mm. Yeah, I remember like seeing this and thinking, wait, he's. It's a cool. It's a cool shot, and it's very kind of 300 esque, uh, where he's holding the rig. But then he just holds it enough to, to give them enough time to get away. I was like, "Wow, he didn't. He couldn't have like held it up even further." No, I think, the, no, because the the weight, the the, the steel beams were melting. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it did fall over. Like he couldn't hold it. I up, sort of literally. pinned it as he's still developing his strength, but he doesn't really know how to utilize his strength. Not that it. Not. I'm not saying that he wasn't. Um, he wasn't strong enough to do it but he was just trying to um use or understand how his strength works through physics maybe i don't know <laughs> um clark then gets a job at a diner in canada as he works you hear some soldiers talking quietly about some object found in the ice in the north when a trucker in the in the diner starts harassing one of the wait waitresses clark warns the man to stop the trucker taunts Clark and splashes him with a drink. Retaining his anger, Clark uh, Clark takes off his apron and leaves the stop without saying a word as the trucker continues to taunt him by throwing a can at his neck. Later, as the trucker leaves, he is shocked to find his rig impaled on several of the tree logs um, he was hauling. No, it's, it's actually really cool. Um, I like how the story moves at a very, very good pace. And it's, again, it's very efficient storytelling. Um, he's picking up bits and pieces on where he needs to go to discover certain things because he's on this journey to find his origin, right? Um, and, and I do like these little moments that it, that it takes uh, where he's in the diner and he has a little bit of confrontation and he's holding, he's holding back. You know, I can imagine if, if I was in that situation... I'll be mad as hell. I'll probably like throw him through a window or something. <laughs> maybe, maybe not, but it's like, I can imagine it'd be tempting having powers like he has, right? To just do whatever he wants. And I guess he takes it out in the best scenario possible instead of like impaling the guy on a bunch of tree logs or anything. But I do like the way that guy pushes him. Um, he goes to push him and then he, he sort of rebounds backwards. It's a really cool display of his power. Um, he doesn't even flinch. What you hear is the... That's pretty cool. Yeah. He was in Smallville too. He was the Ryan's dad. The oh, he was in Smallville as well, the TV series. Oh, wow. Yeah. He was whose dad? 
I think there was about 22 or 20. There was over 20 cast no members way. from Smallville who were in Men of Steel. Wow. Is that... um? Wait, who's Ryan's dad? Ryan, Ryan's the kid who um, got like cancer or something. He could read minds. He was oh, in, like, two episodes. in the first season. It was like season one oh, okay. and season three. And he three. played the father. Yeah. No, he played the... Yeah, that guy played the dad of Ryan. Uh, adoptive oh, wow. dad. There you go. Um, Lois Lane uh, a reporter of the Daily Planet newspaper lands at the base in Canada where the investigation of where the investigation of the object Clark overheard earlier is taking place there she is met by Professor Emil Hamilton and Colonel Nathan Hardy Lois Lois is informed that drilling is still commencing within the ice to get to uncover the craft but ice drilling tests have at least confirmed that the ice surrounding the object is 10,000 years old this is the weird thing oh what does it say it says uh but the weird thing is is that the ice surrounding the object is over 10,000 years old this is kind of bizarre to me because i'm thinking okay the object I guess is un- unidentifiable it's like a ufo essentially they're not really sure what it is but then i thought it was weird how he says the ice is over a thousand years old the ice surrounding it is over a thousand ten thousand years old it's like i mean whether there was an object or not like the ice would be pretty old anyway right like it's <laughs> we've been around for a very long time well, it depends <laughs> no it depends if um if it was laid on the ice was like snow falling on top of mm. it kind of because that means it was there for at least that long mm. as well i just thought it was odd because because i thought it was the same way of saying well i mean dirt has been around for millions of years like <laughs> like ice is also <laughs> have been around for a very very long time um i thought it, i don't know i thought that was a little bit odd but maybe uh, i understand why it why he says that because he's trying to say that the craft has is old and it's been around for a very, very long time but they don't know it's a craft at this point it's just some kind of random object um getting out in the evening to shoot some pictures lois sees a man walking on the ridge near the drilling site not wearing any cold weather clothing and that's a that's a good point she's it's probably like super cold and she's only wearing like a jacket or something and it's weird how she goes up on the mountain because the shot that you see the shot sort of the camera comes back a little bit and you see her going around the mountain i'm like wait that shit is like rock climbing expertise terrain there how are you walking around that thing i was like uh that's a bit shady <laughs> i wouldn't believe that she would have actually do that but whatever i i can forgive that scene um uh clock then finds a strange spacecraft and goes inside finding a panel that opens up noticing the panel's hole being of a similar shape to his command key given to him by jonathan clark enters the command key into the hole which causes a person causes a person to suddenly appear nearby as well as causing the ship to come online he doesn't say a word but just starts walking off like a stranger like a, like a weirdo creepy guy just in the background <laughs> and the whooshing sounds of that figure <sighs> 
<laughs> Clark attempts to catch up to this person, but he also he always seems to be several steps ahead of him. So it turns out he is more than a ghost. He is a consciousness. What does he call himself? He's a uh, he's yeah a conscious something something of himself. <laughs> Construct. Conscious construct of himself, yeah, something like that. Um, meanwhile, Lois found her way into the ship, but is attacked by a sensory bot. Uh, that sensory bot's cool, by the way. That's such a cool uh, little security defense system. And and the sound design is very, very good in this part, because like the whips, um, you can feel that impact. You can feel how how sore that would be. Like It sounds like some crazy whipping... Mm. Um, her screams cause Clark to, to come running after disseminating the sentry by crushing it with his bare hands. That's a cool scene as well where he's like dismantling it and just crushing mm -hmm. it with... Yeah, that's very that's much like a classic Superman comic image as well of him like just crushing something with his hands. I thought that was mm -hmm. pretty cool. Um, mm -hmm. He sees that Lois has a wound in her lower abdomen. He tells her she's bleeding internally and uses his heat vision to cauterize the wound. Shortly after... Uh, military forces nearby are all surprised when the ice starts to crack and a giant ship emerges flying off <laughs> it's funny when the line that he says to to her he's like i can do things that other people can't <laughs> and then she just stares at him like, oh, okay and does it say this is gonna hurt i think i think he says something like yeah that. i think so uh this might sting a little or something like that. Something like yeah. that. It's a cool yeah. scene. I also like that, like, even by the end of this film, he's still not used to how painful the laser beams are. That's such a good piece of detailing for his mm. powers. Makes sense, I guess. Mm. Well, I, I mean, I don't know if it makes mm. sense because he's he's a freaking god or whatever, but I like that they've um, they prescribed that kind of feeling for him being such a god, but the laser beams are so strong that it even makes him uh feel a little bit of pain that's pretty cool but i think by by like bvs and justice league yeah he probably gets he used to doing it. that i think he mm. yeah gets used to um it. uh lois is found the next day shortly thereafter writes up an article about what she experienced however her editor at the daily pad perry white refuses to publish it underrate or underrated <laughs> undeterred lois searches out to or reaches out to contact uh of hers named glenn woodburn and allows him to publish her story though he cautions uh he cautions that she could get in trouble for leaking the story she claims she wants to do this in hopes that it will catch the attention of the person she met um meanwhile clark has piloted the spaceship to another remote location in the Arctic. It turns out that the figure he was following um, is a hologram of his father Jor-El's consciousness, who is appearing via the Bluetooth of the ship. <laughs> via the, the key Clark inserted into the ship. It's basically Krypton Bluetooth right there. Jor-El explained to him the history of the planet Krypton that the ship Clark found was a sentry ship sent out to many years before the Kryptonians had attempted to colonize other planets. Now, this is really cool. I like this display of um, Krypton heritage 
where he comes from, his origins, and maybe some of his family members or whatever. I like how it's displayed, like the visuals in this is such a cool idea. And it very much is in vein and theme of like Kryptonian um, cultural design. Uh, I think it's pretty cool. There's a cool Easter egg in this as well. I don't know if you picked up on this. But there's a cool Easter egg. The way that we see his ship in this like visual um, presentation. The ship, that design of the ship is the same design of the ship in the first Superman movie by Richard Donner. Yeah. Uh, I have to rewatch it. Yeah, yeah, it's a cool little Easter egg. I think I found out the Easter egg from a Zack Snyder interview. He's like, yeah, if, if you look closely at the uh, at the presentation, it's like I did the design of uh, the Richard Donner first movie. He's the he's king, the king of, Easter of Easter eggs. He's, he's the king of like doing comic book movies. Yeah. Homages. He should do more. He gets the, he literally puts the frames from the yeah. comics up on But the he screen. also he also finds ways to make it relevant too, you know. He finds a place for these easter mm. eggs and and comic pages, you know. Mm. He, they're not out of place when you see them in a film. Um mm. Jarrell explains to him the history, okay, I read that part. Uh, at the ship's genesis chamber, Jarrell tells Clark of how the creation of artificial birth control caused him and Lara to believe Krypton lost something precious, the element of choice. The nature of Cal's birth was the embodiment of the belief of aspiring to greater things rather than having a predetermined way of life. This is cool. This is uh, a lot of philosophy, actually, that's uh, depicted in these scenes. There's a lot of... Uh, um, there's this... I guess it's like there's undertones of political issues here as well not undertones i mean actual political issues within krypton you know krypton was mm. essentially like a totalitarian state right where the the state yeah. was in full control of what their future was going to be like very deterministic about how they wanted their species to propagate and then you have someone like mm. jor-el and lara who are very much of the kind that we should have choice and we should have freedom and we're going to embody these yeah. beliefs into our son our greatest creation of all natural birth can you see the world going into that direction <laughs> 50 years from now artificial birth control that'd be crazy yeah, eh? yeah. Yeah, it's not as far as what is. True. I think. Yeah. And I think the the wild thing about this is that um, this this movie has a strong message about uh, what it what it means to stand for liberty and freedom. Um, and this is something that the Superman character has always embodied, but never really displayed in any way like this on a film before. All the previous films have always just been about mm -hmm. him being a hero, saving the planet, all that kind of stuff. Those are those are very good things. It's a good good message, but I think the message about freedom and choice and liberty is much stronger here than in any other film. Mm -hmm. It's cool. I like it. I'm down for it because I'm down for choice, yeah. man. I'm down for freedom. <laughs> I ain't down for this like crazy control. Um, the nature of Cal's birth was a uh, okay. I already said that part, right? I think I did. Did I? No. The nature of Cal's birth was the embodiment of the belief. As I think I did. Never mind. <laughs> Scrap that. 
<laughs> Durrell further explains the reasoning of Clark's powers. Earth's sun has a powered has powered Clark's muscles and senses as his cells absorb the sun's radiation, and that the Earth's gravity is also much weaker, which which enables him to perform huge leaps, which is also out of the comics as well. The very very first comic of um that mm. Jerry Siegel and Joe Shuster wrote, he could he wasn't flying, he was just leaping from building to building. What's the what's the classic uh? Mm. Leap to a building in a single bound. There we go. Um, so yeah, this is this is a nice little Easter egg that Zack Snyder did again, which is cool. Um, and I like the exposition is quite a lot in this, but I really enjoy it because it doesn't doesn't linger. Like it, it doesn't it doesn't like slow down or just freaking linger around for just like this annoying piece of exposition. I think it's actually good. And then the Hans Zimmer score during the flight. Yeah, scene, yeah, yeah. All the build-up to this, like, with uh, Jorah's voice in the background. Like, he's a consciousness, but he's also kind of mm. doing um, a voiceover for a little bit of a montage, explaining how his powers work. I mm. think all of this stuff is really, really good storytelling. Yeah. And it's also... Um, yeah. You'll give them an yeah, idea, give them an idea of just, Yeah, that's right. I think all these words were actually taken out of... Um, Ah, uh, what's his name? Uh, 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 something Morrison, Grant Morrison's. Uh, uh, yeah. All Star Superman. Yeah. All Star yeah. Superman. There's yeah. like a few pages where he's learning about his powers and Jorel's like guiding him. And what the, and I think this is straight out of All Star Superman. Yeah. Shout out to Grant Morrison, one of the greatest comic book yeah, writers of all time. Um, Jorel also shows Clark a dark blue and red uniform that will symbolize his mission. To help the people of Earth and act as their guardian. Stepping outside the ship, Clark begins to push his powers, first taking flying leaps before eventually being able to fly at great speeds, breaking the sound barrier. Now this is cool. When the Kryptonian ship opens up and it's the silhouette and the cape, ha oh man, what a majestic moment. And it's perfect because uh, yeah, like you're saying, Hans Zimmer's score and the way it like it finds mm its way to gently increase um and to start building this emotional and majestic scene like majesty's kind of like the, the only word that i like to describe this scene because because the score mm. the score recognizes that it recognizes how you know majestic mm. this guy is this character is and and it's just everything that is shot about this is awesome i like the camera how it goes behind him when he's sort of floating or maybe standing i guess mm. i don't think he's floating at this point but he's just standing mm. and the capes in the background it's just beautiful shots mm. great great shots of this um and when he's yeah. when he's leaping from about about that's also kind of like a easter egg except it's not buildings it's mountains <laughs> it's cool man the way the the mountains like mm. shatter and stuff and how he's like you know leaping and shit and then eventually when he finds his moment mm. and he and he kneels um and he has his fist and the camera does a nice slow close-up on his fist and then you see the the rocks start to float around him that's the dragon ball z moment that we all want but we don't have it but mm. this is the best that we get the dragon ball z moment where he's doing a power up off, off of the mm. the cliff not the cliff but you know the rock or something like that and then he just shoots into the sky and then the score is like dun, dun, dun. oh my god what a moment 
it's such a really well earned moment getting up to that mm. because we're all, we're pretty much halfway through the film at this point and we've earned every mm. moment to get to this point because all the exposition has really paid off to this i love it i'm a superman mm. fan man <laughs> <laughs> breaking the sound barrier oh man the the sound barrier breaks are awesome and actually my favorite moment of this sound barrier break which is in the very first teaser that's played at the beginning of this podcast where it's at the end all you hear is the sound effects where he's like that part happens when they just figure well they figure out what they're going to do next to take down zod and he that's when he flies over to the uh indian ocean yeah and so that 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 scene where he's breaking the sound barrier that's my favorite scene of breaking that sound barrier yeah uh yeah meanwhile lois begins tracking down leads to her mystery man her sleuthing 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 leads her to (laughs) smallville and eventually martha kent visiting the grave of jonathan kent she is surprised when her mystery man appears um (laughs) what is it albeit nondescript clothing (laughs) anyway lois claims she wants to tell clark's story but he tells her of how he abides by his father's request to not reveal himself until the world is ready using the story of jonathan's death in a tornado and how he prevented clark from saving him for the sake of clark's exposure as an example i like the choice here um the choice of like not doing a flashback the same way they've done flashbacks in the previous scenes but done it in a way that he's telling that story to lois i think it's a it's a good choice here um now the scene where where uh yeah pa kent dies here um it's it's sad but i think the the sadness doesn't hit me as as much as i think zach wants this scene to hit you know um yeah i I don't think it hits as hard as it should um I think the scream from Clark is pretty cool. <laughs> it's a good scream. He's good at screaming. He's very good at screaming. Um, but yeah, it just doesn't hit as much as I, as I wanted to. And, and I would have loved like maybe a bit more of an emotional scene with his father dying. Um, it's an interesting choice, but I understand the choice. I'm not sure if I'm fully on board with it, but I understand the choice. They did have the... They did have a good emotional scene. The you yeah. are my son. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You are my son. Yeah, that's cool. But I also like the the last um, flashback that we get at the very end of the film with Jonathan Kent looking at his son mm. running around in the yard with the cape. That's a really nice moment. That's a cool moment. The cape. Yeah. But um, mm. yeah, the scene didn't hit as much as hard as I wanted it to. Um. Lois claims uh, she tells uh, she wants to tell Clark's story. Oh no, I already said that part. <laughs> uh, respecting Clark's wishes, Lois drops her story and returns to Metropolis, where she is suspended for several weeks by Perry White for releasing her previous uh, article despite his protests. Perry, however, commands her for uh, commends her for dropping the story. Uh, Clark then visits his, his mother and happily tells her that he has found where he came from and who his true parents are though martha fears that her son will now be taken from her clark assures her it won't happen um i like what perry says to lois here 
um he says um i don't know what your reasons are for dropping this um but i'm not gonna believe i'm, I'm not gonna believe that you just your story just went like smoke or whatever um but can you imagine mm. how the world would react if something like this was true that's basically what he's saying that's a powerful line mm. for the kind of message that this movie's telling us because mm. how would the world react if, if like a alien that looks like us is flying around with these crazy superpowers that's a great great line mm. um yeah, the Martha Martha fears her or something. Yeah, and this is a cool moment between her and Clark, like Martha and Clark. Um, she's spent all these years raising um, raising Clark, and it wasn't an easy it wasn't an easy task because he was discovering all these powers, and she didn't know what to do. Like, how would how would any human being <laughs> know how to raise uh, a son that discovers all these crazy powers? How do you even teach that? Um, and I like how it's explained here through... This is a good dialogue, actually, where she says, um, um, it wasn't very it wasn't very hard. I'm oh, sorry, it wasn't very easy to raise you because um, after all these years, I didn't think there'll be a moment where I had to let you go because it was, such, it was so difficult. But I'm proud of you, is essentially what she's saying. So this is good dialogue. Perry and Lois uh, watches Zod's message. Meanwhile, the military has received a word of a strange ship in geosynchronous orbit. These big words in this movie. Geosynchronous and uh, somatic reconditioning <laughs> around the planet. Soon others report the strange sighting, but are surprised when the power is cut off and all on all parts of the world, and a message is broadcast from General Zod. This is such a scary scene. This is such a good, good scene of what it would feel like to be invaded by aliens. It's perfect. I like, I like how the movie is part action, part sci-fi, part horror, um, but still has an, a glaring position of hope. This is really cool. I like it. Like, it's, it's quite creepy. And how the message kind of gets transmitted in whatever way possible. And it gets, you know everybody else in the world that doesn't speak english as their first language gets the um google translate uh <laughs> service which is quite nice um he threatens earth by demanding either the people of the earth hand over kalal or kalal do it himself within 24 hours or consequences will ensue a worldwide manhunt is initiated to find clark where the world debates over the alien threat glenn woodbird is interviewed about the aliens drop and drops Lois's dame, which soon results in numerous FBI agents being sent to her intercept her. Uh, she is then held in custody by the army. Um, it's pretty funny how this whole this whole thing happens, and Lois gets thrown out of the bus, and she's trying to run away, and <laughs> the FBI get her. And also, a reminder that you know, America is also representing the world. <laughs> but you know. In fairness, you know, like he's he landed in Kansas in America, so it makes sense. Um, back in Smallville, Clark goes to a local church and confesses to the pastor there that he is the he is the one that extra what <laughs> extraterrestrials are searching for. Why is that even a word there? Um, though he admits he is conflicted, 
he doesn't trust that General Zod will leave Earth in peace, but he is also wondering if he should trust humanity. His decision is made when the pastor tells him that sometimes one must take a leap of faith. Um, this is, I think this is also a good moment and good character moment for him where he's, um, we see the inner conflict that he's going through. Um, and he knows that humanity can't be trusted, but from everything that he's been learning from his biological father or biological parents as well as his foster parents that um humanity has a good side but he has to be reminded that in different parts of the film um and you you presume that the kents and clark have been going to church for a very long time hence why he's at the church because otherwise it's it's one of those things where you, you have to just it's like off-screen stuff right and um you have to believe that that off-screen stuff is true and he's you know in a church otherwise it's kind of random he's in the church um it seems like shoehorned uh religious uh messages i suppose i don't know <laughs> I've, I've heard other people say oh this is kind of weird how he's in church why is he in church like look it's not explained but you have to presume that his family is a church going family <laughs> and he goes to the one place that he thinks that is going to be the right answer or get the right answers how do you feel about all this like uh religious uh, symbolism and iconography like i said um well actually i'm not sure if i mentioned this but the archetype of superman is based on like moses and jesus so it's to be expected that there'd be some mm -hmm. throwbacks mm -hmm. to them that's true that's true um hope 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 clark then appears before the army in his kryptonian suits willing to surrender to on condition that he can meet with lois and that she be freed clark is handcuffed and he and lois have a short conversation in the interrogation room she asks him about the s on his chest which he tells her later it's not an s um as humans know it but the Kryptonian symbol of hope. It's not an S. On my world, it means hope. Well, here it means S. <laughs> kind of, kind of like the choppy dialogue, in my opinion. But in, I know that like the this this idea of the S being a symbol of hope comes from Grant Morrison um, in the what is it called in the uh, blah, 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 what was the comic that we said before. Um, All-Star Superman. I was going to say, like... All-Star Superman? I don't know, Man of Steel or something. <laughs> That's the name of the movie! Um, yeah, I think that yeah, that whole idea comes from directly from Grant Morrison's All-Star Superman. It's a symbol of hope. Um, but yeah, kind of choppy, choppy uh, cheesy dialogue, which says, well, on, my, on, on here, it's an S. And then it says, why don't we... Um, what does it stand for? Oh, no. She says, um, oh, how does she say, like, uh, it should stand for Superman, but then it gets cut off? Yeah, how that's about, right. How about for, and then, and I, I'm glad that it cut, it cuts off. It's kind of cool. Um, cause you don't want to yeah. really fully commit to that cheesy line. <laughs> Call it Superman. It's too obvious on the nose. Um, But the way I didn't like how they did bring it up 
later by that guy yeah got unveiled that guy's in this movie as well yeah i, I remember he seeing him also in yeah, seeing him he's <laughs> on the football yeah. team right it's when Season clark one. just that's yeah. right burns him, coach yeah. walt burns him. and clark is that is that when clark discovers his he was actually in Smallville. He was in he was two different characters, actually. He was oh. also in season eight of Smallville. <gasps> oh, as a I cop. remember that too. Yeah, two, two different two, characters. Yeah, recasting. <laughs> wow. I guess, like, yeah. there was a different casting director for season eight <laughs> and probably didn't realize. Um, yeah, so Hardy and Hamilton, uh, among others, uh, that he is not their enemy, but is what? Uh, but is, however, afraid of Zod's in- uh, intentions in a remote desert a black craft appears to wait did i just skip a whole bunch of stuff i think i did <laughs> uh to pass a river. okay clark appears to the army in his kryptonian suit willing to surrender on the condition yeah okay i read that part um okay no i didn't skip it in a remote desert a black craft appears to bring him to zod's ship the craft is commanded by feora ul ul or al feora ul who also demands uh, of General Swanwick that Lois also is taken with them. Though Colonel Hardy points out that the deal was originally for the alien to be handed over, Lois goes along anyway. Before they reach Zod's ship, Lois is fitted with the breath, with the breathing apparatus as the atmosphere on the ship will not be suitable for her. When Feora is distracted, Clark slips Lois the command key he used to restart the Arctic ship. Um, this whole in- this whole scene interaction with the ship coming down on the desert and meeting the military army at the front line, all this stuff is like super creepy, and I like how it all feels super real, right? It all feels super real, like even even uh, uh, Colonel Hardy, no, yeah, Colonel Hardy, even his reaction when when Feora comes out of the ship and towards him, like he's petrified he's scared as shit and this is a guy that's you know at the the top of the military game so he's like the strongest most confident person to represent the human race right <laughs> and even him but i like that he, yeah he still, like stood, up he still because... stood up to her and then lois is the one yeah that's lois right the one because he, he still him. has that confidence but i just like that there's there's a glimmer of there's a slight um moment where the reaction on his face was like holy shit an alien <laughs> that's pretty cool mm. um on board the ship zod welcomes clark who for a few moments later collapses on the floor of the ship seemingly unable to breathe though lois is worried for him zod assures her that clark's body is simply adjusting the, to the kryptonian atmosphere aboard the ship clark passes out and finds himself in a dreamlike vision with the family's farm Zod explains to Clark that after the destruction of Krypton, the portal of the Phantom Zone where they were trapped was open again. Utilizing the portal's Phantom Drive, they were able to transport themselves all across the galaxy, searching out the various planets which colonizing ships were sent. Their searches for a new planet pro- provide unfruitful, as each of the colonists sent to these various planets was found to have perished. However, Zod and his followers took what they could from the remnants of their civilization, including a world engine, a machine used to terraform planets to the needs of Kryptonians. Now, all this ship stuff is is pretty cool. I, I think I think the pace for this is it's slowed down 
a little bit I remember finding myself a little bored like I wasn't completely bored but I was like a little bit bored <laughs> um, it just didn't have the same kind of uh, um, well-paced movement um, and scenes that were that were directed in the in the previous part of the film well earlier parts of the film um, but it's necessary I think all this stuff is quite necessary for for Superman to be in a vulnerable position where um, like he, he doesn't know what to do he's kind of disarmed of his powers and um, Lois being on board also um, at first I thought it didn't make sense for Lois to be on board like why did they make that choice for her to also go along but I think in hindsight it's got to do with yeah collateral yeah yeah like collateral. to ha hold her hostage if like Superman was to act up or you know um, overpower the Kryptonians so so it makes sense from that perspective but it isn't really um, fully realized because there isn't really a moment where they need to do that um, because for the for the whole part like superman's pretty much um he's out of action <laughs> he's out of action the whole time so they didn't really uh, i think if this scene was to really work with um making sense for her to be on board without us sort of filling in the gaps um it could it would have been cool if uh superman had a moment where he just outbursts with his powers and everything but um maybe it's in like an editor's cut or something or a director's cut I guess like for the sake of time, you know, there's, there's probably not a lot, there's, there's probably not a lot of time to like, ex to show that, um, because it would have, yeah, it just would have taken a lot of time to have a whole choreographed action sequence or something like that, and then to put it in the film. So, um, yeah, and then from an outsider's perspective or for somebody watching this film for the first time, doesn't quite make sense that she's there because you have to fill in the gaps. Yeah, when you fill in the gaps, you're kind of like, all right, that makes sense. <laughs> um, when Clark activated the scout ship in the Arctic, uh, um, it sent out a signal which uh, leads Zod and his officers to Earth. Zod then claims that um, he, interns, uh, he intends to turn Earth into a new Krypton, but Clark is unwilling to go along with his plan as the human race will go extinct as a result of the terraforming. Awakening from the vision, Zod informs Clark of his murder of Jor-El, proving that with or without Clark, he will revive their civilization and further not anyone or and further not anyone to prevent him from doing what is best for his people. As Zod leaves, one of his men, Jaxor, obtains a blood sample from Clark as the Black Zero's atmospherics have nullified Clark's powers, rendering him as weak as a human. Meanwhile, Lois is thrown into the holding cell, where she comes across with uh, comes across a panel with a small hole. Lois notes it is the same size as the key she has. Inserting it allows the information from Jor-El to appear before her. The key causes the ship's atmosphere to alter towards more suitable conditions for the for Clark and Lois. And Jor-El gives Lois valuable information for stopping Zod along with leading her to an escape pod and changing the atmosphere allows Clark to break his bounds uh, to break his bonds and Durrell appears before him pointing out that Lois needs to be saved as her escape pod was ruptured by laser fire okay this was a bit of 
um, some convenient scripting. Because <laughs> uh, I, I don't know how Jorah was able to make the f <laughs> the Kryptonian ship into a Earth atmosphere. It seems a bit too convenient for me, but um, I understand why they why they had to do that. Um, yeah, um, and then all this all the, this stuff is like. At this at this part of the Kryptonian ship, where they're in, where they're in, like held hostage in the Kryptonian ship, it, it's all rushed pretty quick. Like once she gets to the escape pod and then gets out, and then um, he makes an escape and has no physical altercation with the Kryptonians on the ship. Um, I think again it would have been cool to see that physical altercation on the ship, um, but I guess we you know we see it down on Earth when. When they when they have a massive battle in uh, Kansas, um, Superman saving Martha from Zod. So we jump back. Okay, so so after this whole Kryptonian, we jump back into Earth. Um, Clark manages to save Lois from the pod, but his attention is soon drawn to his mother, who is set upon by Zod and Feyora, who have come to Kent Farm looking for the Codex. Where is the Codex? <laughs> Feyre finds Clark's pod, but no sign of the Codex. When Zod threatens Martha, an enraged Clark races to her, uh, races to save her, tackling Zod and hitting him with one with such force that the two end up thrown into the heart of the of the downtown Smallville. Um, the this whole scene with the with the ship coming down. And Feyora and General Zod coming out of the ship and then threatening Martha. This is all such cool shit. And this is when we when we get into the really cool powers and the expression of the powers from all the Kryptonians, including Clark. Um, the way Feyora like jumps into the to the barn, opens up the ship, jumps back out. It's like mm -hmm. there's nothing there. And then Zod's like, Zod's like, oh, and then he grabs the truck and why does he have to throw the truck into the house for? so mean um and then when clark shows up he's like you think you can threaten my mother um he's angry you know and i, and I think that's how somebody would behave as well mm. considering they don't have any fighting skills is like it's it's very um inexperienced <laughs> yeah, it's very it's, it's all brute force he's brute just force. using all the strength yeah. to try and take him down um mm. upon recovering uh, zod's breather short circuits uh, sorry. Upon recovering, Zod's breather short short circuits, and his body begins to adapt to the earthen, earthen, earthen. Is that a word? Earthen environment. As he suddenly gains X-ray vision, and his hearing begins to take in everything at once, just like Clark did when he gained his powers long ago. This is a good a piece of attention, a piece of detail. <laughs> uh, attention to detail is that. The Kryptonians are experiencing the same thing that Clark has experienced, and this was all um, this was all set up in the beginning of when Clark is learning his powers through flashbacks. I thought this was great. The effect is debilitating to Zod as his senses overload, and he is forced to retreat. Clark claims that his parents helped him hone his skills to control the sensory overload, but his assurance is thrown aside when a ship recovers the stunned Zod and Veora and the larger Kryptonian Nam Ek attempt to bring down clock it's like clock man you're just giving away all the secrets you're literally telling him like what he needs to do <laughs> by saying 
my parents taught me how to hone my senses. Uh, it's a it's a bit like I don't know if I like that dialogue. To be honest, <laughs> it's kind of weird that it would just say, "Oh yeah, um, um, this is what happened to me." So maybe you should try this as well. He's basically giving him tips and advice on like what he should do with his powers. Word of the alien presence in Smallville has reached the army, and Colonel Hardy approaches with helicopters and planes. Hardy claims that all three the aliens, including Clark, are hostile, and all form of weaponry is thrown at them. Though Feora and Namek escape, Clark is able to change Hardy's mind when he saves the colonel along with several other soldiers. Clark returns to his ship uh, to his mother, but he but he uh, but also encounters Lois, who explains to him that for Jarrell told her on the ship. This is pretty cool. Okay, so this whole scene, right, with Namek and and Feora, this is when we start to see all the crazy Dragon Ball Z action, awesome visual effects on on all fronts. And then um, <laughs> when Namek gets like throw like gets blasted by the missile, and then like gets taken in, up, blasted by the missile, and then falls into the lamppost, and then he kind of like shakes it off. He's like, oh, oh, shakes it off, and then and then he runs, runs, and he does like freaking triple jump, and then does a massive jump all the way to the to the jet and then just and jumps on the nose of the jet and just like crushes the guy crushes like the the pilot it's when you look at the when you look at when he crushes the pilot the pilot like turns into dusk it's kind of a weird yeah it's kind of like a weird uh choice missed i guess i guess he exploded, exploded. it would have been cool to see like blood or something but it just looked like like uh I think it was yeah, just worse, like like gray mist or something. That was wild, and then um, and then he hits the plane away, and then another plane's like coming in, and Feora is just oh well, she's not standing there. Well, she was standing there, and then she flies into the explosion, and then goes to take out a, a jet, and then gets interrupted by a Superman. Then they get into the IHOP, <laughs> they land into the IHOP, destruction everywhere, and then they have that cool dialogue sequence between the two of them. It's like you're weak unsure of yourself <laughs> she's uh she's a she's a menace man and she's she's pretty villainous man i really like how how she's portrayed here she's like this evil witch that you don't want to mess with um and she seemingly has like uh she's got experience you like i think just from these lines you you feel like she's been around for a long time and she's no she knows what's up um uh, though Theror and Namek uh, Clark is able to yes okay so back on his ship uh, Zod is informed of what happened to the Codex it is discovered that Jor-El had it transplanted into Clark's cell every little cell making him the source to create a new Kryptonian life when Zod is informed that Clark does not need to be taken alive to retrieve the Codex he puts his plan into effect Zod then launches the world engine as it touched down uh, near the South Indian Ocean. Zod's ship hovers over Metropolis using the Phantom Drive. Zod activates the world engine, which creates a link with the ship through the Earth, beginning the process of terraforming Earth, creating a stronger gravitational pull. The Earth causes massive destruction, flattening cars and shaking skyscrapers apart. The, the force of the machine also causes objects to repeatedly rise and plummet yeah. Earth. What are you going to say? I was gonna say this this whole plot point actually if you think about it this doesn't make sense because 
why would he want his people to not have any mm -hmm. powers when they could have superman's yeah. powers on the earth because by the end of the movie he's adapted That's to right, it anyway yeah. he's got superpowers <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't like, make sense well, at the, yeah, at, the sense. at the instance, but then when you think about it, Zod was Zod and the rest of the Kryptonians. They weren't aware of the kind of powers that they were able to have um, on Earth. That's that sort of um, mm. that surprised by having these powers, and I and I think he was still committed even after knowing what it's like for him to have the atmosphere. He was still committed to the cause of. Um, creating krypton right regardless of whether he has powers or not so it it makes yeah. sense to me that he would terraform and create a new atmosphere and he probably he's probably not thinking of this of the fact that he's probably going to lose his powers um all he's fixated on is the goal to create mm. krypton so so i'm not i'm not too bothered by that mm. um well, meanwhile, Zod leaves his ship and heads um, for the ship. <laughs> and heads for the ship Clark found in the Arctic. On board the ship is a uh, gestation chamber with many unborn fetuses. The projection of Durrell speaks to Zod, telling him to halt his operation. But Zod refuses to listen to the words of a ghost and is willing to do what he what he can as general of Krypton to revive its civilization on planet. There you go. That's what it, it's, I guess this is right there. I like what he says to Durrell um, when Durrell says, um, but this is genocide. He says, yes, and I'm debating its merits with a ghost. <laughs> That's a great line. Yeah. Marco is the shit, man. I love this yeah. guy. Um, Zod's key eventually overrides Durrell's, and the ship now responds to Zod, causing Durrell's hologram to disappear. Bye, Russell Crowe. You're not in the movie for the rest we're not in the rest of it. Um, Colonel Hardy, Dr. Hamilton, and Lois board the plane that will transport the pod to Metropolis. Superman flies to the, uh, to the device in the Indian Ocean called the World Engine. As he flies near it, the Kryptonian defense mechanism fends him off using all uh, using long tentacles. This is kind of cool. I like the whole defense system. And I like how there's a concerted effort to try and um, put obstacles in the way of Superman trying to take down this World Engine. Um, in Metropolis, the warplanes fail to destroy Zod's machine, uh, which interferes with gravitation. The transport is also unable to properly drop the pod. Deep underneath the world engine, uh, Clark struggles and overcomes the unique uh, the, the engine's output. He manages to propel himself, crashing through it, which causes it to explode. Now, this scene like where he figures out, okay, I can go under and then go up. Um, uh, I'm okay. I'm not, I'm not the biggest fan of the scene where he's like battling the world engine. Um, it is a cool moment where he's like under the beam, and then there's that whole kind of yeah. It's the whole Christopher Reframe thing. Christopher and I, Reframe. I remember watching um, Zack Snyder's interview about this, and he talks about it and he's like, yeah, yeah, we wanted to pay a little bit more homage to Christopher Reed. I was like, okay, not really needed. I don't I don't need that. <laughs> I don't need I don't need that kind of homage it's there and it's kind of cool yeah and i'm kind of like whatever but and then he flies into the world engine and it breaks apart and all that kind of stuff um the scene is like it doesn't have the impact that i hope it, it should have had um but i know this is just how the story is going to be in order for them to get to the next part which is take out general zod um they probably could have done without this without having 
um, the whole world engine thing. Because um, I'm still in kind of two minds about like having world engine and terraforming as part of a subplot to to satisfy the bigger plot, which is to create Krypton. I think he still you still could have had General Zod be on a mission to create Krypton without the terraforming thing. What's that? Hello. Hello. <laughs> you can't hear me. I can't hear you. Why? Um. Oh, I'm gonna create a marker, um, but no, I'm still here. It's uh, I think it's just maybe you. <laughs> Hello. Okay, maybe it's like your internet or something. Mm. Are you okay? <laughs> Can you hear me? Okay, I'm back. Yeah. Yeah, I think it yeah, might have just been an internet issue. Cut out before the right. Um. Yeah. What was I saying? Um. Yeah. I mean, I don't think. Um. Yeah, the terraforming just didn't really need to happen. I think you could have done the story without the terraforming stuff and maybe spent a bit more time on other parts of the film, like maybe spent a bit more time with, uh, with um, I don't know, maybe more screen time with uh, Jonathan Kent and uh, Martha Kent or something. But the whole terraforming thing could have, could have been done without and you still would have had a compelling story about generals are trying to take over Earth. Um, Zod quickly. Uh, where are we? I keep losing where we are. <laughs> uh, deep underneath the world engine. Okay, no. Zod quickly flew to Metropolis as he attempts to destroy the military plane. Superman swoops in and crashes into the ship's control panel. Zod demands that Clark let him complete his plan to revive Krypton. Krypton had its chance. I don't like that line, by the way. That's a cheesy line. Didn't it happen? It's like it's like a, I feel I feel like Clark had the worst lines maybe in this film, <laughs> or maybe it's a bit of his delivery. I'm not sure. Yeah. Maybe it's a bit of his delivery, um, but um, yeah, I like how General Zod is is he's so determined. You can feel the determination in his in his expression that um, he's like you're gonna destroy Krypton forever, and then he says Krypton had his chance. Then he uses heat vision. It's pretty brutal, though, eh? Krypton had its chance. <laughs> I wouldn't expect Superman to say that. It's a very, very brutal thing to say. Um, yeah. And, you know, he's speaking out of line, right? Like, he's he's still trying to... He's still immature in, in his growth as Clark Kent, as Kal-El, Superman, right? So, yeah, it's kind of an immature statement for him to make. But he's, he's acting out of, like, um, anger, right? And I guess that's what he'd probably say. Um, were you going to say something? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, like, when, before he did the Krypton had his chance thing, mm -hmm. he did have a moment of, like, hesitation. Like, he he didn't want to do it. And then I think at the last second he decided to. But mm. I, just, I don't think it was the right decision, though. But like you said, it, it wasn't in character for him. Yeah. To be like, let's yeah. Go. Well, I mean, he's not genociding a whole people. I mean, and this will probably dive into the weeds of like philosophy, whether whether well, the um, artificial uh, 
birth control is considered a human or whatever or no it's not a human and well human in kryptonian terms but like is that genocidal to just like get rid of all those eggs mm. i don't know that's more of a very deep spiral well you're living yeah, this but the species is like artificial so, so. No, artificially birth, but they're still they're still. I don't know. Genetic. It's like artificial and They're still they're still. Yeah, yeah, but that, that, that's that, that's a deep dive into like a philosophical like discussion on what what would you consider yeah. to be like. Because it's the same mm-hmm. as the Matrix. If you yeah. didn't pick up on it. <laughs> yeah, the Matrix did the same thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that's that's a that's a big spiral into like philosophical uh, arguments about like what is human and what isn't, uh, what is life and what isn't life, whatever. Mm. Um, Fayol fails as Hardy steers the plane into uh, steers the plane to crash into the spaceship spacecraft. When it tilted, Lois's uh, Lois loses her balance and falls. The collision of the Phantom drives causes the military aircraft and Zod's ship to disappear in a created singularity. <laughs> you forgot the... Ah, uh, yeah, one. yeah. The Winch Fayori, like, jumps into the war. ship. Um, yeah. And she... <laughs> she penetrates the, the metal, like, pretty easily, you know, when she, like, flies up into the cockpit or something. So scary, the way she's... Mm. Like, the, the demonstration of her powers is awesome in this film. Mm. And yeah, she has that line with uh, Colonel Hardy in the big, mm. like pre in the previous film back in Smurville, and then he kind of exchanges it back. Um, a good death is his own reward. Cool little throwback uh, for him, or good little revenge, uh, last last minute revenge, words of revenge. <laughs> Clark manages to save Lois and puts her safely mm. on the ground. Nearby, the sound of moving metal is heard, and Clark finds Zod thoroughly enraged. Zod tells Clark that. He was engineered to be a general of Krypton. His purpose was to, was to protect it and its people. And now that he is unable to revive Krypton's nation, Zod lost his purpose. He threatens to kill hu- the humans that Clark protects. Um, and yeah, man, Michael Shannon's such a beast, man. He's got a good performance here. Even these lines see uh, like the kind of cheesy lines when he's on his knees. But he delivers it so well, and I, and I think this is just where well. his acting experience just trumps um, Henry Cavill's acting experience, you know. And I, I, I just don't think he was able to do that as well as mm. Michael Shannon. Yeah, you could tell that Henry yep. didn't really have as much. It's very limited in his still, acting chops. Um, but like when he's when, yeah, when Zod's having that that breakdown henry's just giving this like yeah he doesn't have a good response to it (laughs) he's just kind of like staring at him (laughs) like his yeah yeah, his his acting is not great in 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 this scene particularly um zod duels superman throughout metropolis smashing through buildings um during the fight zod adapts further to earth's atmosphere spawning heat vision and the ability for flight in the train station, Zod activates heat vision, aiming at a trapped family. Wait, but, so before I get to this part, let's just talk about this briefly about this destruction of Metropolis that happens. Um, that was a huge controversy for a lot of people. It was a big kind of uh, no-no for a lot of people. People were saying that this was the part of the movie that was 
wasn't necessary and there was too much destruction and blah 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 after re-watching it last night i had no issues with this whatsoever i remember watching it and hearing criticisms about this scene long time ago and i always thought to myself oh yeah i guess it is very very long but watching it last night i didn't think it was long at all this scene it's a, the scene is probably like three minutes max it's not that long at all and i think it seems long for a lot of people because it is a lot of destruction and it looks like he's he's like killed a lot of people but i don't think he they've actually killed a lot of people in any of the scene if you watch it closely like it's i don't think a lot of people die <laughs> yeah well i think i think quite a do a lot do but i think it's also necessary to show yeah, exactly. the kind of impact yeah. to godlike beings yeah you can't have, sugarcoat that stuff they battle things yeah out you can't sugarcoat that stuff they have to have the um, stakes and fight. there's gonna yeah. be people that died due to collateral but that's yeah. what it would be like if you had freaking super saiyans fighting in a city um hmm. there's arguments of like people saying oh but they could have done this hmm. in the desert or something like that it's like well what part of the story he, yeah exactly that's another point he isn't doesn't know what he's doing. doing general Zod doesn't give a shit and clark has no idea how to fight <laughs> So he's doing his best to to mm. accomplish or you know um, exterminate Zod. Well, not exterminate Zod, but you know he's trying his best to just uh, get rid of this issue, <laughs> and he doesn't know how to do it the best way he can. I mean, in, in other ways that people would expect him to do. Um, so, and so we get to this part where Zod is being held by the neck by Clark, um, spawning the heat vision. Um, and then he shouts if you love these people so much then you can mourn for them and then the heat ray vision is happening and it's getting closer and closer and closer to the family Clark begs Zod to to not kill them what does Clark say he's like he's like don't <laughs> stop it don't do this it's actually quite bad no don't <laughs> like, do this it's like cringe when I'm watching the oh man this acting's not very good Henry but yeah. you know what I, I'll, I'll forgive you for this because the movie's very, very good. But oh man, the the lines that he's delivering is, is it's a little uncomfortable. <laughs> Clark stops Zod's violence by snapping the general's neck, killing him instantly. Distraught, Clark agonizes over killing Zod, even though he had no other option. Lois appears and confronts Clark. Um, so. Real quickly, what did you think about this whole Clark Superman killing for the first time? Well, technically, I don't think it was the first time. Like, if you go back through his history, um, but I think it was good because Jeremy Johns put it well. It showed that he, if he didn't do it, it would show that he lacked the That's conviction to do what was necessary. Because mm -hmm. at this stage, he wouldn't know any other way to stop Zod. And he's, yep. if he's just going to yep. keep That's a good point. people, what else yeah. can he do? I'm of, the side, I, I'm of the side that I think it was necessary for him to do that. And I think it was a good choice. And it was a smart choice for Zack to do that. Because he's, uh, the story up until this point is that he's uncertain. He's, in, he's discovering. He's researching his origins. He doesn't know anything about his, how to utilize his powers correctly. Um, and it's like what Feyre was saying. You're uncertain right everything was leading up to this moment where he was going to be caught in a situation where he's backed up in the corner where he he cannot do anything other than 
snap his neck. So it, it makes a lot of sense. But I understand people's arguments with this, saying that, well, like, Zach and David and and Chris didn't have to do it. Oh, actually, I don't even think Chris was on board with this either. I think um, there. Were, I think most of like the popular people in um, in that world of film producers and film writers and directors were saying that it wasn't quite necessary. And I, I think even like a comic book writer said something like that, um, like Mark Miller or someone. Uh, oh, sorry, Jeff Johns. Jeff Johns. I think he said something like, uh, "He didn't have to. They didn't have to write a scene where Clark ends up um, snapping the neck of General Zod." I don't think any of the arguments are very strong. I think what they've done in this film is perfect, and eventually leading to that. Mm -hmm. And it's a big sacrifice for him as well. Yep. Because it's yep. clearly something he didn't want to do, and that kind of establishes like a big milestone. Maybe this is mm -hmm. what kind of establishes mm -hmm. his no killing. That's right. In the that's right. Um, it's a the big character development yeah. for him as well because now he's gonna. The, the way that it's going to shape him in the future is going to be... It's going to mean more in any time that he goes to do heroic saves, any time that he goes to um, do anything heroic, you know? Like, um, his belief system starts to get shaped a lot a lot better. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm totally on board with this. Mm. Later, Swanwick and Major uh, Carrie Farris um, find Superman downing a drone superman claims that he knows they had sent it from his home on earth he wants the search to stop he pledges to fight the fight for the security of earth yeah you know carrie uh, Farris yeah Green yeah that's Lantern. right um doesn't she have a it, comic yeah. um character as well it's like star something star star lady or something star remember. girl <laughs> Starfire, yeah, I think it's Starfire, yeah. Starfire. Um, Clark then returns to Smallville, where he and Martha visit Jonathan's grave. Clark states that he wishes his father could have seen his actions. Martha Kent says, um, says he did. When she asks that Clark intends to, to do now, he explains that he'll get a job where he will be updated um, on the threats and the troubles around the world. That makes sense. <laughs> it's the right, right kind of job to be in, so then he knows how to keep his 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 uh, his ear on the ground, I guess. Um, and I like this moment that they have with the flashback. You know, like we said before, we had this moment now, where it's a nice, nice, nice moment between Clark and and Jonathan. Um, and this flashback is, yeah, and the music, the music's kicking in with the, the nice music. piano. Um, and this flashback is not like all the other flashbacks. This flashback, the way it's color graded, it's like sepia, or it's like light sepia, high contrast. And I think this is this was deliberate to show that this was a very, a very uh, important moment for Clark and, and his father. So, really good detailing there. Clark travels uh, to the Daily Planet building and is introduced to Lois by Perry Lane. Lois pretending to know... Oh, Perry, Perry, Perry White. Perry White. <laughs> Where did I get Perry Lane from? Um, Lois pretending not to know Clark, jokingly welcomes him to the planet. I thought this was a good line. I really like. I really enjoyed that line. Very good line. Yeah. And 
Very yeah, double fun. meaning, and 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 I like I like uh, Amy Adams. Um, I mean, I like her performance in this whole movie. She's great, and she, her delivery of the of this line is really cool. Her reaction, it's kind of like, uh, <laughs> I know who you are, but we're gonna go along with it, and it's a little bit ridiculous because I think your disguise is ridiculous. <laughs> um, and then he says, "Glad to be here, Lois." Mm. Uh, and the muse clerk retorts, showing he knows her um and wow that is the end of the man of steel plot wow what a big movie what a very big movie um was there anything else that stood out to you going through the plot here no um it was serviceable <laughs> The plot's not like the most intricate thing, but then it kind of didn't need to be. It served its purpose. Yep. It did. It did. It did. Um, well, these other criticisms I hear about the film saying that the the story is convoluted. I'm like, man, you guys are drunk or something or high, smoking something because the movie, the story is not convoluted at all. If anything, there are parts where they could have shaved off. Like I said. Earlier on, I think they could have done without the whole world engine thing. They they could have achieved a very very good story, compelling villainous story without having the world engine stuff, and you know that kind of science. Um, there's some there's some pretty poor dialogue as we identified in the plot, um, and they could have chopped some of that kind of stuff away as well. Um, some of the uh, Kryptonian spaceship stuff they could have chopped some of that away maybe and just just give us a cool action scene in, in space. That would have been cool. <laughs> just spend like, I don't know, five minutes on an action scene. Get rid of like the whole like lowest lane in there and blah, blah, blah. Just do like a cool action scene in there. That, I think that would have been cool. Um, But yeah, man, big, big, big movie. I like that it was two hours and 23 minutes, but I could have, I would have enjoyed this to be like two hours and 45 mm. minutes. <laughs> but maybe that's just me being biased of wanting to get eat up more of this Zack Snyder vision or yeah, Superman. I wish, I wish he know? had a director's cut for this, like he did for, like, BVS. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah, that would have been awesome. I, I would have watched that whole thing, man. Give me six hours, man. I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> um, so real quickly, I just want to go through some of these yeah. facts here. Uh, before landing the role of Clark Kent and Man of Steel, Henry Cavill missed out on the same role during the audition process for Superman Returns. Yeah. Do you know that? Yeah, there you go. Technically, he auditioned for a different Superman project that was eventually rooted into uh, ret retold, retold. I don't know what this is. Retold into Superman Returns. Um, before Zack Snyder was hired to direct Man of Steel, the job was offered to Ben Affleck, who was hot off uh, the Best Picture win for his acclaimed directorial effort, Argo. I like that movie, Argo. However, he turned on the offer because he. He'd never made a movie with so many visual effects shots. <laughs> that was the reason why he turned it down? Interesting. Um, one of the most glaring omissions for Superman's costume in The Man of Steel is his red trunks. His whole suit is blue, which is at odds with the traditional design. Apparently, Zack Snyder wanted to keep the red trunks, but the visual team drew up 1,500 designs, and the red trunks didn't look right on any one of them. So he decided to cut them. That's interesting, eh? Yeah. Did you know that? 
I guess you know all no, these I facts, didn't know right? That. <laughs> that was interesting. Yeah. Oh right. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I think that decision to not have the red trunks was perfect, mm. and that's actually the way uh, the new Fifty Two yeah. Superman is as well, without the red yeah. trunks. And I think the new Fifty Two came out after. Did yeah. it come out after the Man of Steel? Yeah, I think it is. Maybe Man of Steel inspired New Fifty Two. Um, according to Man of Steel's editor David Brenner, the first cut of the movie was three and a half hours long. Where is that? I want that. Yeah, same. <laughs> wow, the final cut is 143 minutes long, um, more than an hour shorter than its initial runtime. So the movie had to undergo some difficult cuts. Man, I, I okay, I'm going to say this now. I predict that in that cut, there is an action scene in space, like how, how I said before. Mm. <laughs> Maybe there is, you know, because because it, it 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 seems a little odd that the only thing that Superman does in that space sequence is break the chains and get out of the ship. He doesn't do anything else other than that. I reckon there is there is some cut there that that where he does have physical, physical altercation for with. Other Kryptonians in that shit. Yeah, even with the fight with Zod when they break the Wayne satellite, that was just they could have done more out there. They could have done more out there, yeah. Yeah. That was super mm. quick. It was just in it and out. Pre- it almost felt like a <laughs> yeah. That's right. It, it felt like a scene that was written just so they could show that Bruce Wayne exists in the yeah. universe. <laughs> um when Zack Snyder and Hans Zimmer were working on the score for Man of Steel, they, I know this fact as well, actually. This is really cool. They needed some drums for one track and decided to assemble a team who they considered to be the world's greatest drummers. You've you seen that yeah. scene? There's a BTS footage on YouTube. I think I've seen it on my Blu-ray, um, my Blu-ray, um, where he assembles, like, I think it's like 12 drummers. One of them's Pharrell. One of them's... Um, Jonathan, what is it? Jonathan Moffat, Moffat or something, who was the drummer for Michael Jackson. Um, Junkie XL, mm. I think that's how he started collaborating with uh, Zack Snyder eventually, because yeah. he was one of the drummers for this as well. But yeah, there's a, it's a whole room of drummers that all created that that drum sound that you hear in the theme song. Yeah, it's like the world's best drummers. How cool is that? Um. What a privilege it would have been for them as well. I think a lot of them would have been honored to do this, the new Superman mm. theme, you know, because they're probably thinking that they're, they're going to be embedded in the history yeah. books, maybe the same way that John Williams has done with uh, the score. Um, far and away, the most controversial scene in Man of Steel, and maybe in any comic book movie ever, is when Superman breaks General Zod's neck, killing him. As a comic book writer Grant Morrison pointed out, the killing was avoidable as Soups could have just covered Zod's eyes. Ah, so it was Grant Morrison. He could have covered Zod's eyes. Yeah, but he doesn't. <laughs> I don't know if I would even accept that, even from the great Grant Morrison himself. Like, Superman could have covered his eyes with his hands. Like, I suppose so, but I don't think Superman's thinking that at that point. I don't think he's thinking, yeah, I'll just cover his eyes with my hand. <laughs> Like that w- actually that wouldn't make sense either because he knows it's painful for him to to do the heat yeah. vision right it's a painful thing so why would why would he even think that covering his eyes would would be any different mm. yeah anyway that is the plot that is the facts we're getting to the very end of this podcast which is pretty much now we've gone uh, pretty long and I think it's been a very fruitful podcast review and recap 
Um, let's uh, begin to finish this off by rounding out. What is your ten? What is your out of ten rating for Man of Steel? Um, my biased rating is ten, um, but my, <laughs> but my more realistic one uh, without the rose-colored glasses might be, um, in the words of George Costanza, seven. Seven. Okay. Should I put a seven there? Hmm? Actually, no, seven there. no, that's a seven bit harsh. That's a bit harsh. <laughs> I just want, <laughs> uh, let's make it a let's make it an eight point five. 8.5, right on, right on. And for me, I'm giving this movie a 9 out of 10. So that puts us at a Actually, nice... Actually, make me a 9 too. Make me a 9 too. <laughs> 9 yeah. as well. <laughs> All right on, okay. 9. So we've got two 9 out of 10s, folks. Um, and that is Man of Steel by the great Zack Snyder. Any last words? Um, no, this was fun. Um, Man of Steel is one of my favorites, but um, I'm just thinking... I was just thinking the logical inconsistencies is what made me drop the thing at the end, but it's still one of my favorite movies. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. I think this movie is a gem, and I think it's one of the best comic movies ever ever made. But I, w- I would also say it's like one of the best movies um, – wait, sorry, not one of the best movies ever made, but I, I think it's just for the kind of ecosystem that we're building with comic book films, I think it's created a precedent for good comic book storytelling mm. films, right? Um, a lot of people give credit to The Dark Knight. And look, I, I'll be the first person to put up my hand and say The Dark Knight is one of the best comic book movies ever made. But I would even say that The Dark Knight doesn't really... Um, the Dark Knight doesn't have the same... It's not in the same ring as comic book mm. movies. I mean, The Dark Knight is just one of the best movies ever made, period. Yeah. Um, so I wouldn't really compete it in the same area as Man of Steel or any of the MCU films. Um, uh, so, like, you don't, the Dark Knight didn't really create a precedence so much so as to tell comic book stories the same way that we see it in comic books. Um, I think Man of Steel was that movie. Um, and it's great. I love it. I love it a lot. Mm. And I can't wait to watch it again. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Next annual rewatch. Yeah, man. Yeah, the extended yeah. cut. All right, Zack Snyder, listen to this. We want your ex- extended cut edition. We demand it the same way. Well, let's start a let's start a fan campaign the same way that we've done with the Zack Snyder cut. Release the Snyder cut of Man of, uh, Steel. Man of Steel. Yeah. That'll be awesome. But man, good having you on the podcast again, yeah. man. I appreciate you having me. you. This was fun. Yeah, man. It was fun, man. It was fun. Keep up the um, keep up the enthusiasm. With uh, Superman and and films in yeah, general, <laughs> um, and um, what what's your podcast and where can people find your podcast? Um, it's called Slice of Pie. It's not very um, frequent at the moment, but if you subscribe, then you'll be the first to know when things come out. Right there, you go. Um, you heard it here, folks. You or you heard it here first. The Slice of Pie podcast. Um, make sure you get onto that if you want to learn more about like great conversations with um, very very important people. Would you say that very important and people? Interesting people that have and interesting people. Yep, they have a message to tell the world. Um, and um, you can get the rest of the you can get the rest of our um, 
social media handles in the show notes uh, make sure you hit the bell notification so you know when the next episode of legit cool podcast drops uh, we have a lot of movies coming up very soon for reviewing and recapping um, so yeah stay legit and stay on top of it and continue to enjoy cinema and go to the theater go watch movies at the theater don't watch it on netflix i mean watch netflix but you know support the cinema because we don't want the cinema age to die whatsoever <sighs> so that being said thank you so much and we'll see you soon